great. And um, give me a second to get ready and turn there as you guys are opening up. Genesis chapter 8. And I'm not going to be able to use this at all today. <laughs> That's okay. I got paper. Old-fashioned way. Genesis chapter 8. Let's pray. Father, again, we give you thanks, God, for this time that we have together. Lord, we, we come together to worship you and to study your word, um, Lord, with, the, with the, the belief and knowledge that your word is truth. And so, God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, we know that your word tells us the natural man cannot discern the spiritual things, the things of God. Lord, you're so high above us. Your wisdom is so infinite that we need your Holy Spirit who is with us and in us to make the truths or the revealed word known to us this morning. And so, God, we, we trust and pray that you will do this. And, God, that these things that you make known to us will apply to our lives. Lord, your, your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we, God, we ask, we call upon that promise, that truth, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would divide and, and, and do a work in us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I, I do want to do one thing. I've not talked to, to Austin about this, but um, I'd, I want to be faithful to, to pray for Austin. Austin Shepherd is in college. He's been a part of this church uh, for years and years and years. His family has as well. But Austin is leaving on Friday for Turkey. And he's going to go be going on a missions trip to Turkey to work with the ISIS refugees. And it, it, it was already... Uh, a, a dangerous thing, um, but since the coup has happened and things have changed there politically and the geography uh, of, and the landscape of, I mean, the landscape of the political scene there in Turkey, there's, there's even appears to be a greater risk. And we know that, that as Austin's called by God to go and he's prayed about it, he's rested in the fact that, that God is uh, called him in this. We know that God's going to watch over him and protect him, but we want to send him out with prayer. So, Austin, will you come up, and um, we can all pray for you? Please, and if you guys would join with me in that. And if you wish to talk to him a little bit more, maybe about what he's doing and why he's going there, um, I would encourage you to visit with him. Um, and I just want to put this out by, by the way of... of um, it, it, don't post this on your Facebook accounts. Hey, we prayed for this guy, Austin, in church today. He's going to Turkey on a missions thing. It's, it's illegal to, to show your faith in Turkey, and um, it's already lots of dangerous things going on there. So if you guys could just um, leave what we have spoken here here and um, not post any of it on social media in any way, that would be greatly appreciated. So let's pray for Austin. Lord, we thank you for Austin, God. We thank you for his, his life and his love for you that encourages us all. Lord, we know that you've called him to go do this thing. We know, Lord, that you're going to protect him. And so, God, we call upon you to, to just surround him with your angels, Lord, um, to give him strength on the inner man, Lord. Give him peace on the inner man that as he goes and does this thing, Lord, that you've already prepared his way that you provided for every one of his needs. Lord, you're his provider, you're his protector, you're his sustainer. And God, he knows and we know that your hope, his hope is in you. God, we pray that as he goes, that he would be effective for your kingdom. Lord, that you would give him many opportunities, Lord, to share um, and, and to encourage and to strengthen, God, 
not only the, those ISIS refugees who are there in Turkey, but, Lord, any other person that he comes in contact with. We pray, Lord, that the circumstances and situations that are going on there would not put a fear in the hearts of the team uh, that Austin is going with, uh, Lord, but that they would, they would still be bold to do exactly what you've called them to do, knowing, Lord, that you've ordained this. And we put them in your hands, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. If you look there with me, it says, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventh day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased, verse 5, continually until the tenth month. Of the, until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of the 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he made. Then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters of the earth had, had, or the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark himself. And he waited yet another seven days. And again, he sent out the dove from the ark and the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly picked or plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So, verse 12 says that he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. And it came to pass in the, seven, or in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed... The surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day, it says, of the month, the earth was dried up. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his, his sons' wives with him. Every, every animal, verse 19 says, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to the families, went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a smoothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And Father, we thank you for these promises that still hold true today, that give us an encouragement, Lord, of the fact that you sustain, and God, that you've remembered, and Lord, that you're doing a work in our lives. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Lindsay, it's, it's, 
I'm glad you sang that that song that you had wrote and and that that my prayer had encouraged you to do so because it's obvious that God's doing a doing this this thing this morning of of bringing forth a, a solid message a, a a a singular message through worship through the prayer and now through our our study through through this chapter of Genesis chapter eight and. And I just want to I just want to clarify because I love I love it when God does these kinds of things without men having to orchestrate them, because I didn't we didn't send a, a note to Lindsay and say, hey, we're going to be in Genesis chapter eight. And it's about these things. So can you tailor all this stuff together? Because there's some people in our fellowship who really need to hear it. That's 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 not at all how it works. But yet God. God in his power and his infinite wisdom and his Holy Spirit that lives with us and in us knows what's going on and he knows what we need. And as we see this message being conveyed to us this morning, man, there's great encouragement. I'm finding great encouragement in just remembering what I've studied and in, in, in the things that God wants to speak to us about and the things that we read here in chapter eight. And as we begin, I want to also look over at Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two, which says to us, it says, God, who at various times and various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And I read this to you this morning because, you know what, we often go to the New Testament, to the teachings of Jesus Christ, and um, to the letters that Paul wrote to the early church. And we go there, I think, in times of trouble, in times of difficulty, because we want to find um, the things that can teach us and guide us in our daily walk today. We want to know, God, we've given our lives to you. We want to know what you want for us. We want to hear from you. And, and, and the New Testament is a place, I think, that we traditionally we go to in a regular way. And I think in doing so, we often neglect the Old Testament. But in doing so, we can sell ourselves short because the entire Bible we're told is the inspired word of God from the very first verse of the first chapter of the book of Genesis to the, that very first word in the beginning to the to the very last chapter to the very last word in the book of, Je of Revelation. It's all the inspired word of God. And the Old Testament, when we look at that and consider that, the truth is, is able to teach us and is able to guide us in our daily walk in the same way that the New Testament can. In fact, the book of Genesis being this book of beginnings, a book of firsts, is very profitable to us, uh, uh, very profitable for us in guiding us and teaching us because it examples and teaches us so much about God's relationship with us, and, 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 and it teaches us and guides us about our relationship with God. And, and it's crucial when it comes to understanding um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to know how God loves us and how he relates to us, and to know, you know how we're called to relate to God. So as we look at these things this morning, as we study through um, the Old Testament and look at it in, in relationship to the benefit of our lives. We also need to understand that it, that the Old Testament is beneficial for us in regards to encouragement and strengthening and giving us hope, not just in teaching and guiding us. And, 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 and part of the reason we can see this is because every foundational thing that Jesus taught to his disciples, to the people who were with him on the earth at that time, and the things that we read and study about, every foundational thing that Jesus taught came 
from the Old Testament. Likewise, Paul's teachings to the early church and the letters that he wrote to him also came out of the Old Testament. And this is why when we study through the, 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 the New Testament, we find so many Old Testament quotes, so many Old Testament references. And as we study through chapter 8 this morning, we can see that, that this chapter has a lot of things to teach us. Specifically, if you're, te- if you're taking notes and you want to key in on these things, chapter 8 has a lot to teach us about the nature of God, the person of God. It has a lot to teach us about our depravity, our sin nature. It has a lot to teach us in light of that about our hope and our security that we have in God's provision and God's sustaining us in this life that we live. And it has a lot to teach us about, you know, our worship of God uh, and, and, and likewise of our service to God. And I know that when we feel anxious, I know that in those times when we feel discouraged with life, it's also common for us to look to the New Testament for encouragement. To passages like Romans chapter 8, right? That reminds us how, how God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How, how there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. I love that passage of scripture. It's great encouragement in time of trial, in time of trouble. And it's also not common for us, I think, in those times when we're feeling like that, to turn to passages like what we just read here in chapter 8 of Genesis, which is counting or is detailing to us the, the if you will, the mop-up operation that God takes place after the flood. But the fact of the matter is this chapter that we've read already this morning that we're going to study through, it has equally the same amount of ability to give us hope, to give us encouragement whenever it feels like everything around us is falling apart. Because this chapter about God's renewal, this, this chapter is about God's renewal. It's about God's restoration. It's about finding rest in God during a time of tribulation. And this chapter records the end of a storm, and it records the beginning of a new life and a new hope for God's people and for God's creation. So as we dive now into chapter 8, I want to encourage us to consider what God did here, what we read, and to be encouraged, and to see that that, that God remembers. And here in verse 1, that's what we read. It says that, that God remembered. And this is an encouraging thing that is being told to us, here because it says that when it says that God remembered Noah and every living creatures and all the animals that were with him in the ark were being told a very specific thing in regards to the action that God took to bring an end to the flood. And we're also being told, being told some very important things about the nature of God, about the person of God. And, 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 and as, as we see here that we're told that, oh, and God remembered, we're not being told that God is somehow an absent-minded God, that he gets too busy with everybody else's business, that, that he casually looks across the earth, searching to and fro for those of us, you know, who, who, who are following after him and goes, oh, yeah, I remembered Austin. Good thing it wasn't before he already went to Turkey. And something bad happened to him. God's not absent-minded like that. That's not what we're reading here. Like like God had somehow forgot about Noah and then 
a, a little over a year later, because as we study out the time, that's about how much time has passed from when the rains began to fall and Noah and, Ark, Noah and his family went into the ark and that the, 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 the rains you know, and the floods rose and then Noah was floating on, on the, on the, on the land. And then, and in verse nine, and then God, God remembered Noah, it says, if you do the math, if you do the, the, the accounting, the dates that are given back in chapter seven and what we read here in chapter eight, you see that it's been over a year and God remembered. And it wasn't like God all of a sudden remembered that Noah was still out there floating on the ark. I destroyed the whole world done. Oh yeah. Noah and his family, they're still out there. I better check in on them. That's not what we're reading here. We're reading something, something greater. In fact, if you begin to consider the nature of God in relationship to what we know to be true, um, it's very opposite of this. God's not like this at all. God's not absent, not absent-minded at all. And, and Scripture teaches us, and you guys know this, that God never forgets us. But do you know that God never stops thinking about us? It's not that he just hasn't forgot about us or doesn't forget about us, but the word of God tells us that he never stops thinking about us. David knew this, King David, and he wrote in the Psalms, in Psalm 139, verses 17 through 18, and he said this, he said, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. It's awesome. And so when we read here in verse 1 that, that God remembered Noah, we must consider what we know to be true about God in order to stand, understand what we're being told. And, and furthermore, when we look to the Hebrew word, which is zarkar, zark, or excuse me, zakar, that is being used here, which translates to this word remember, it also helps us to understand and consider that, that it means to be, what, what we read here when it says to remember, it means that God was being mindful or he was thinking about. And so the idea being communicated here is that God was mindful of Noah, or more specifically is that God's thoughts were upon Noah. And this is why God, we read, then made the wind to pass over the earth and to subdue the waters. But the Hebrew word zakar is communicating something more to us than, than, than simply the fact that God was thinking about Noah. Considering this word zarkar is, is, is used in connection always, every single time, it's used in connection to the promises of God. Now think about that in relationship to the promises that we know that God has made to us as we study through this, as I explain this. And so when we see this word, zakar, used other times in the Bible, it's always with God taking an action on his promises. For example, in Genesis chapter 19, verse 29, it's an account that tells us of the time when God was about ready to destroy the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says in verse 29 that God remembered Zakar, God remembered Abraham. In other words, God remembered the promises that he had made to Abraham, and in doing so, he spared Lot on his behalf. Likewise, in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, that same word Zakar is there. And it's used in a time when we know that Rachel wanted to have a child. And there was a promise that had been given, an heir that was to come 
And, and, and Rachel wanted a child and she could not bear one. But it says in verse 22 that God remembered Rachel and she conceived. Then in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, the same word zakar is used when we read about that time when Israel was in Egyptian bondage. And, then, and how God took action, how he acted on Israel's part to deliver them. And it says in verse 24 that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God remembered. He took action and he set them free. He called Moses to deliver them. And perhaps the greatest example of this is found as it translates into the Greek word in, Hebrew, or in Luke chapter 1, verses 54 through 55, where we read about that time when Mary had conceived Jesus, the Lamb of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And she, understanding, feeling, feeling the, 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 the fact that she had conceived, she praised God, saying, she said this, God has remembered his mercy and he has spoken to Abraham and his offspring. God had remembered. In every one of these instances, the idea is the same. God remembers in the sense that he takes action on his promises. And this is exactly the case in regards to God remembering Noah that we read about here in chapter 8. And in, in, in regards to God, if you remember, he had made a promise to Noah. He said, no, I'm going to save you and your family. I'm going to destroy the earth. Judgment's coming, but I'm going to save you and your family. And God now in his faithfulness, see, understand this, that God had already begun to do that. God had already saved Noah and his family, but Noah and his family were still floating upon the waters. And so what we see as we read in verse 1 here is that God in his faithfulness was, was now remembering, he was now taking action in regards to completing what he had started. I love that. That God was completing what he had started. And from Noah's point of view, now think about it in your own times of trouble and think about it in relationship to Noah, because from Noah's point of view, this was a big deal. Considering he was still in the midst of this trial. Remember, the earth was flooded and every living thing that had been left on the earth had been destroyed. And Noah's family had witnessed this all taking place before them. But Noah was still floating on top of the waters. And day after day after day, he was caring for his family. And in addition to that, he was caring for all these animals that were in the ark. And nowhere, and nowhere in the Bible does it say or ever mention to us New Testament or Old Testament references at all. Nowhere does it tell us that God was speaking to Noah during this time. So as far as we know, God hadn't spoke to Noah since the time that he told Noah to enter into the ark. And it wasn't until after that, the, after the waters had dried up, where we read here in this chapter in verse 15, where God then again spoke to Noah. And in light of this, I don't know about you, but if I was Noah, in light of this, I think it's reasonable to say that, that maybe Noah felt alone. Maybe Noah felt like he had been forgotten. But God had not forgotten Noah. And this is important for us to understand because when we are the ones, when we're the ones who are going through a trial, it's easy to feel forsaken. To think that God's forgotten us. And, and, and feeling forsaken is, is a normal emotion. 
that all of us as humans have experienced, and all of us, if you're honest with, with yourself, that all of us have probably even questioned God about. Why have, have you forgotten me, God? Have you forsaken me, God? Don't you see what's going on? I'm still here floating on the water all alone, day after day after day. In fact, again, David, he felt this way, and he questioned God in this way in Psalm 10, verse 1. When he wrote and said, he said, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord, and why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? But at the end of that psalm, in Psalm 10, the really cool thing about it is David then begins to kind of focus on his persecutors, on his, on his trouble. But at the end of the psalm, David's eyes and ears are opened up to the truth. And, 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 and David writes and he says, he says, even though that I have felt alone, the truth is God has, he says, God has seen. David specifically mentions this. He says, God had seen my trouble and he had heard my prayer. And through it all, David said, God was still on the throne. The point is, God in his perfect timing, guys, he will always act on our behalf, and he is faithful to those who are his. And Jesus, speaking about the faithfulness of God, said in Luke chapter 12, verses 6 through 7, remember this, guys, he said, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? He says, But the very hairs of your head are numbered. He says, do not fear, therefore, you are, more, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also, God, through the prophet Isaiah, he, he, he spoke and Isaiah wrote, and it says in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 15 through 16, it says, God speaking, he says, can a, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? He says, surely they may forget. He says, yep, I will not forget you. God says, I will not forget you. He says, listen to this. And we know the, the significance of this in relationship to, to our, our knowledge of what Jesus did for you. Jesus said, or God said, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you in the palm of my hand. The bottom line is, is God had not forgotten Noah. Nor had God forgotten the promises that he had made to him. And you know what? We can rest insured today that in spite of how we feel, in spite of the circumstances that we're going through, that might cause us to think or feel that God has forsaken us, God is not. And likewise, we can depend upon God not only because of his promises that we're familiar with, you know, sometimes we're told to, to recount those promises, to dwell on what is good and true and noble and praiseworthy and of a good report. Paul in the Philippians 4 says those things to us, and it's true. It's good medicine in that time when you feel that way. But, but not only because of the remembering of God's promises can we depend on him, but because of his proven character. We can depend upon him because of his proven character. Remember, Guys, the Bible tells us God is love, right? And where there is love, there's always faithfulness. Always. And God's faithful remembrance is seen in three ways here in Genesis chapter 8. I want you to really see this. And first, it's, it's seen in his past salvation. 
God's faithfulness to Noah is seen in the past salvation. I'll explain that. But it's also seen in his promise of a future preservation. That's really what we see throughout the, 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 the majority of this chapter is God's future preservation of Noah and his family. But also, God's faithfulness is seen in our lives and in the life of Noah here in his present provision. In the fact that God provides for us right here, right now, in this moment. In other words, God, as we look at Noah in the text, as we see that God had been faithful to Noah, and the fact that everyone on the ark was safe, and that they had been spared from the judgment which the whole world had received, was a reminder of this. It was a reminder to Noah as he floated day after day after day, Perhaps in that time of silence, he could look at the fact that he was alive in that boat and in that ark, and he could go, God's faithful. Look what he's done. God's faithful. Look what he's done. Look what he's already done for me. So as Noah and his family felt the ark finally bump into that mountaintop as we read in verse 4, and come to rest on the mountains of Ararat. They knew by God's grace that they had been spared from his judgment, even though he was still silent. You see, guys, the point is, this morning, take encouragement from this. The point is, when we put our trust in God's plan of salvation, when we put our trust in God's plan of salvation, which comes, as you know, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we can rest assured that we're safe in Jesus, Jesus being a, uh, an ark, being a picture of, of, of our relationship with Jesus Christ and how we've come into him and have been saved. It says we rest assured that, that we're safe in Jesus even when God seems to be silent. D.L. Moody, I love D.L. Moody, and he tells this, this story of this time when this man came to him. And this man was worrying because he felt as if he wasn't saved. You ever feel like that? I don't know about you, but there's times when I sin or I fall short or I blow it over and over again. And, 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 and the Bible tells us those times, those times when our heart even condemns us. And we go, surely God's grace isn't great enough for this. And the enemy of Satan comes along and he goes, yeah, you got it right. <laughs> How could God love anyone like you? He's already forgiven you seven times seventy and you're done. God's done. And we feel like that. There's times when we feel worried, perhaps, that we're no longer saved. But Moody responded to this man, and he asked him this question. He said, he said, he said answer me this. Was Noah safe while he was in the ark? Was Noah safe while he was in the ark? And the man replied, certainly he was. And Moody then asked the man, he said, well, what made him safe? His feeling or the ark? And truly, guys, it's a blessed time, Paul writes, when our heart doesn't condemn us, when we stand before God in his grace and we know that we're saved and we can come, like the book of Hebrews says, boldly into the presence of God and receive our help in time of need. But it's not always like that. Sometimes we don't feel that way. But that doesn't mean that we're not safe. That doesn't mean that we're not secure just because we don't feel a certain way. And without a, dark, without a doubt, it was the ark that made Noah safe. And, and the point is, it's not our feelings that save us. 
Jesus saves us by his grace. And if we have trusted in him, we know that God in his faithfulness has promised to save us from his judgment that we know is coming to all the world once again. That time when every man will stand before God and every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. So God's faithfulness is revealed in the fact that Noah and his family were alive and well in the ark, in the ark. But it also revealed, that fact also revealed his promise, God's promise of a future preservation. That there was still a, a work that was being done. And after the water had stopped rising, we're told back in Genesis chapter 7, verse 24, that the earth had been covered for 150 days before the water began to decrease. And as we read here in verse 3, it tells us that it took another 150 days for the water to recede. And if you do the math with the dates that are then given in verses 4, 5, and 6, as it gives us these calendar dates, we can determine that from the time that the day from the time of the that the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat to the time that God finally spoke to Moses or excuse me Noah in in verse 14 or 15 telling him to come out that there was an additional in addition to 300 days of the water Noah floating in the water receding that there was an additional 261 days that would pass before Noah and his family would come out so no longer were they floating, they were stranded on the mountaintop, waiting for the waters to recede. So as Noah came after the ark, think about it. If you put yourself in this situation and think about your own humanness, because Noah was, just, it was a man just like all of us are, if you begin to think about it in, 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 in his light, maybe placing yourself in his shoes, when Noah came off the ark, don't you think he probably had some mixed emotions? even though he would have been grateful for God's deliverance. I mean, I think that would have been the first thing. I'd have got off of that boat and kissed the ground under my feet. Yes. But I wonder if, if Noah felt perhaps a bit apprehensive. Think about it. What had just happened? God had just destroyed every living thing upon the earth that had the breath of life in it because of the evil and wickedness of men, because of sin. Every living thing. In light of this, Noah might have been thinking as he got off of that boat, off of that ark and onto the, onto the ground, what if I disobey him now? Will he wipe us out? And I say this because, like I've said, at times there are those times when we have similar feelings as we seek to live in the grace of God, in that grace that we've received. And like I said, I know there's times that, that Satan comes to us and he attacks us. It's a tactic that he has to discourage us, to separate us from God's love, to try and separate us from God's love. And he, and he says things to us in order to get us to, to, to believe that God has somehow become fed up with us or that we somehow become unworthy of God's grace and God's forgiveness or that we deserve what we're going through and God's forgotten. That God's punishing us. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible tells us that those whom God saves, He keeps. 
Those whom God saves, he sustains. Those whom God saves, he's faithful to complete that work that he's begun. That work in us and that work through us. And so the fact of the matter is, is those of us whom God saves, he keeps. And what this means is that our final preservation, our ongoing preservation, and our final preservation does not depend on how tightly we hold on to God, but on God's strong grip on us. He never lets go. And this is exactly what Paul writes about in Jude, verse 24, with the words of praise when he says this. Paul says, To him, to God, who is able to keep you, who he is able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with, with great joy. The bottom line is Jesus is our Savior, and he is our sustainer, and he is our preservation. And because of this, none of these things are, are us being sustained, us being preserved, us being saved. None of these things rest on our great faith. But it rests in his great faithfulness. Remember, back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 18, that's where we read about it. That's where we read about this promise that God had made to Noah, saying, I will establish my covenant with you, God said. I'm going to do it, God said. And we read here in verse 21, if you look over in Genesis chapter 8, we read here that God makes a vow. He makes a vow to never again curse the ground on account of man, meaning, meaning because of man's faults or failures or shortcomings or sinfulness or rebelliousness. God says, I'll never again curse the ground on man's behalf. On the account of man. He says, or will I destroy every living thing as I have done with the flood? And in this, guys, what do you think God was doing? God was reassuring Noah. God was reassuring Noah that, that he will be the one, that God would be the one who would do this ongoing work of, prever of, of preserving the covenant that he had made with Noah. That covenant to save him. In other words, God's promise of sparing the earth from such a severe judgment was not conditional on Noah or on anyone's obedience or disobedience. In fact, God promises to do this was in spite of sinful, the sinfulness of man. The rainbow in the sky, which reminds us of these things, God gave that promise, that promise in spite of his knowledge of our sinfulness. And this is because God knew that the flood, even though it did away with so much of the, the sin and corruption, the flood did not do away with our sin nature, did it? And God knew this. And, and the fact that my own future deliverance from God's judgment is dependent upon God's faithfulness and not upon me, guys, that gives me great comfort. Likewise, the fact that your own future deliverance from God's judgment the fact that it's dependent upon God's faithfulness and not upon you should give you great comfort. 
So when Satan comes to us and says things like, you claim to be a Christian, you claim to be a Christian, look at your sins, look at you. How can God save you? How can you possibly expect him to stick in there with you? When that happens, we need to remember that, that um, we're not trusting in our track record. We're trusting in the faithfulness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, who says in Hebrews chapter 7 or chapter 10, verse 17, he says, your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. And again, we need to also trust in the words that Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which promises this. It says, remember, it says, He who had begun a good work in you, he who has begun a good work in us, he will perfect it until the day that Jesus returns. Now, as we're looking at how God is the one to preserve us, and how God's the one to save us and sustain us in spite of our sin nature that remains. I want to point out some symbolism that's seen in what we read in verses 6 through 12, if you look there. And symbolism specifically regarding the judgment of God and our position in Christ Jesus is a new creation, as the Bible says, a new creation with a new nature, right? And if you look at verses 6 and 7, we're told that after 40 days, Noah opened up the window and he sent out a bird. And in doing this, Noah was trying to determine the condition of the land. To see if the waters had receded enough for him and his family to come out. And the first type of bird we're told that he sent out was a raven, which just happens to be an unclean animal. One of the unclean animals, the types of unclean animals that Noah also took upon the ark. But what does it tell us about the raven? It says the raven did not return, did he? Rather, he could, Noah could look out and he could see this raven wandering, flying to and fro until all the waters dried up. Now the thing to keep in mind about the raven is that a raven is a scavenger. That's why it's classified as an unclean animal in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 4. So when the raven, think about it, when the raven was sent out into the world that had just been judged, right? When the raven was sent out into the world that had just been judged, it by nature, by its very nature, did not return because it was a scavenger. It was an unclean animal. <clears throat> and, and if you think about this logically, as the raven went to and fro, it wasn't that it was able to just fly around for 261 days. That thing was having a feast, that raven, that scavenger. And as it went to and fro, it was dining probably upon the rotting carcasses of all the dead things that were there floating in the waters. The raven was loving it. But then we read in verse 8 that, that Noah, perhaps realizing his mistake, well, maybe I shouldn't have sent out a scavenger, a raven, he then sends out a dove. A dove is a clean animal. And according to verse 9, it says, this is so cool, it says, The dove found no rest for her foot in this judged world that she had been sent out to, so she returned to the ark. 
Now, in order to see the symbolism of these two birds being sent out into this judged world as it relates to our nature or the new nature that we've received in Jesus Christ, we need to look over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it, it teaches us, it reminds us that, that even though we're in Christ Jesus, that we have two natures. It says, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In the light of this, we can, we can look at this raven being this unclean animal as a picture of that old nature, our sin nature, the flesh. That part of us, the Bible says, which still desires and is drawn to the judged things in this life. The putrid things in this life, the things which are did, the things which are rotting, the things that the Bible says that are passing away. Is that not what our sin nature is drawn to? Just like that raven flying around, dining on the dead things that were floating in the water. However, the old thing, our old nature, which loves the things of the world, is something that we have been instructed or commanded in Scripture to put to death, to crucify that old nature, to reckon it as dead. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20, he spoke of this new nature and, and of his old nature, and he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer who, who I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then again, in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, in verse 24, Paul then writes and he says, and he says, And those of us who, who are Christ, we have crucified the flesh with all of its passions and with all of its desires. So if the raven, an unclean animal, is, is, is somehow is symbolic of our sin nature, of, the, of, of our flesh that needs to be put to death, we can see then that the dove being a clean animal is a picture of that new creation that we've become, that new nature that resides within us when we, that we've come to receive when we, when we came into Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in him. Remember, when the dove then <coughs> was sent out, she didn't find rest in that world that had been judged. So she returned to the ark. And we consider this in relationship to who we have become in Christ Jesus, we should be reminded of the words of the Apostle John, written in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, which says, instructs us, commands us, reminds us. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, he abides forever. But as you guys are sitting there probably considering this, just like I did when I was studying through this, the problem that we have as Christians who are in this world, as we live in this world, the problem that we have, it lies with the fact that we have two natures. There's a raven and a dove. We have these two natures, the clean and the unclean, the new and the old, and they're residing together in us. And the Bible says that there's this constant battle going on. 
a struggle between the two. And this is why Paul also wrote to us in Galatians chapter 5, and he says this, he says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that we do not do the things that we want to do. And then Paul goes on, he personalizes it, and I love it. And he says, he says, oh, what am I to do, a wicked man that I am? And then he speaks about being in Christ Jesus and that his hope is in Jesus. And so as we consider the symbolism here in Genesis chapter 8, we can understand, guys, that the first thing to putting to death the old man that wants to feast on the rotten things of this life, the old nature, the raven inside of us that goes to and fro dining. The first thing is for us to do is to remember, guys, that we're living in a judged world. Take the picture of Noah floating upon the ark and the waters receding and the raven going out and eating on this rotting, bloated, disgusting things and go, the world that we're living in, guys, is that judged world today. And these things that are passing away are just like these things that were in the, no, in the water floating by Noah that, the, that he looked out and saw that raven dining on and go, that's gross, that's disgusting. Why would I ever want that? To remember that we're living in a judged world that is passing away. And we also remember, we have to remember, the Bible tells us that we're called to be in the world but not of the world. And that's what I want to close with this, this morning as we begin to wrap it up. Because if you look at the end of this, there's something very significant for us to remember in this account. And just as, just as God had spoken to Noah back in chapter 7, verse 1, if you remember, he said, no, okay, it's time. Come into the ark. <clears throat> and just like God had spoken to Noah and called him into the ark, we see... Here in verse, verse 16, if you look there, that God then spoke to Noah and he told him here in verse 16, he said, Noah, go out of the ark and, 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 and abandon the symbolism for just a minute and take it on face value. You don't want to symbolize everything to kind of take away from us being told here because we're not being told to ever come out of Christ Jesus. But, but God did call Noah out of the ark so that he would be in the world. And too many Christians, in my opinion today, are not going when God has called them to go. God says, be in the world. He says, don't be of the world. You know, and I know that's exactly why Austin and others like him and, and you guys too. You guys do take that step of faith and go and do these things that might not be appealing to you. That you may feel overwhelmed or go, if I do that, I'm going to end up on an ark floating in the middle of nowhere. You begin to count these things and begin to rationalize them out. And you go, I don't know, God. And God says, you know, you come out and you go do this. And we trust in him. We put our faith in him. And being in Christ Jesus doesn't mean that we live once the floodwaters have gone down, that we continue to live in the ark in that sense. Could you imagine how silly that would have been for Noah to go, yeah, okay, God, I'm not coming out now. You know what it's like out there. There's nobody. It's awful. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm going to stay living in this wooden boat. God calls us to go out and to be fruitful and multiply. And that is the fruit of the Spirit, right? To go out into this world, to be those lights, to be that new creation, to allow the Holy Spirit to live in and through us now as a testimony and as a light to the witness of the others, as the, as the Holy Spirit is then manifested in and through our lives in this world which has been judged, that can, there's still hope for those many of those to be saved. Because we've gone out. 
We cannot forget the fact that we've been called to go out into our town, into our community, and to share the love of God with those around us that, 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 that we see, that we come into. We can't stay huddled up together here in our church. And having church outside doesn't give you a buy for the rest of the week. Well, I was, I was in the world. I got out of my church building. We had church outside. If Lindsay wants to come back up and, and get her guitar. And Chris, in a second, I'm going to give her the mic back. But you know what? Let's think about it again. What if Noah would have stayed huddled up together with his family and all the animals in the ark? First of all, the first thing I think about is the stench. The stench would have become unbelievable. The water that had been carrying the ark would have no longer been carrying the waste away. Instead, it would have just been piling up outside as Noah's throwing it out the window. And sooner or later, every bit of life that was inside that ark would have died if they would have remained. They would have ran out of food and they would have ran out of water. And guys, I believe this is exactly what's happening to the church in America today. So many churches in America today are, are, are dead because they won't go out when God calls them to go out. You know what? There's things that God's called us to in this church, and we've gone out, and there's a battle that's to be fought in doing so. But we've got to remember that God's the one that fights the battle. He's the one that protects us. He's the one that sustains us. It's our job to obey, not to remain inside our church buildings where they are getting stinky and filled up with spiritually dead people. May that never be us. May we be those who answer the call and go out trusting that God knows best. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, we want to just, um, again, acknowledge, Lord, that you've done a work in us so that you may do a work through us. And God, if there's anyone here that's heard this message and they've been struggling about coming into your presence and receiving the help that they need so that they can go out because of their sin, because of their shame, because of their fears or the trials that they're going through, God, will you please just speak to them again and let them know that you remember, that you're faithful, that the work that you've done in them is a work that you're going to complete. Lord, renew us again by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, why don't you guys stand so we can sing together this last song of worship. And will you mute this as I mic it to her? And then don't forget to turn the uh, effects back on, okay? All right.